Today's cars are made from many materials and are equipped with all kinds of safety sensors. So how do technicians get proper training when cars are constantly changing? On AutoLine This Week, we discuss how automakers and repair shops are trying to meet the challenge. Underwriting for the production of AutoLine This Week has been provided by Borg Warner. The world is changing at an ever-increasing pace. No matter what the mode of transportation, there is always the need for an efficient propulsion system. And that's exactly what Borg Warner has been doing since the earliest days of the automotive industry. We create innovative mobility technologies that reduce energy consumption and emissions while improving performance. Our proven track record has made us an industry leader in forward-looking propulsion solutions for combustion, hybrid, and electric vehicles. And now, here's your host, John McElroy. I want to thank you all for joining us on AutoLine this week. You know, at first, cars were made out of wood. Then later on, they were made out of steel. They pretty much still are, but now we have all kinds of grades of steel, all kinds of grades of aluminum, different grades of plastic, and we're moving into carbon fiber, which is all great, but how do you repair those vehicles? That's what we're going to get into today, because joining me on today's show are John Van Elstine. He's the president and CEO of iCar. We'll explain that in a minute. Also joining us are Jennifer Boyer. She's the global business and strategy manager at the Ford Motor Company. And great to have the both of you on the show. Glad Thank to be you. here. Welcome. We're very happy to be here. Well, look, I know the audience has heard of the Ford Motor Company. They may not have heard of iCar. What is that, John? So ICAR stands for Inter-Industry Conference on Auto Collision Repair, and we're the uh, principal provider of technical training in the collision repair industry, and we provide a series of other uh, technical support services for shops and mm -hmm. in collaboration with OEMs as well, such as Ford. Mm -hmm. Very good. So you're sort of a training area, almost a clearinghouse for the collision auto repair business. Yeah. So... Um, we probably do about 90% of the training that's done in the United States. We also are uh, operating in Canada, New Zealand, and Australia. Uh, and we collaborate with the OEM, so it, we wouldn't exist without the relationship that we have with uh, companies such as Ford, because we need to understand the models that are coming, the technology change that's in those vehicles, and then we translate that into kind of foundational training that covers cross-brands, but then we also get into vehicle-specific training as well. And you certify the techs that work on these, Yeah, right? so we have a recognition program for technicians. Uh, so if they've been trained up to the level required, they would be platinum technicians. And we also have a recognition program for the shops, and we call that gold class. So if you're a consumer, you should be looking for a gold class shop or a Ford certified shop. Mm -hmm. But uh, in our case, gold class shops, and that means they have the requisite number of platinum technicians. Okay, good tip for everybody in the audience. Yeah. Look for that gold and that platinum rating. There you go. Jennifer, uh, yeah. you've got to have uh, your hands full these days, trying to keep up on all the different materials that are going into vehicles these days. Probably we could even talk a bit about the, the Ford F-150 because Ford kind of stunned the industry when it went almost across the board with aluminum in that truck. Oh, definitely. As the uh, you know, global collision business manager for Ford, um, certainly the area is constantly evolving. 
and you know we, we do everything we can to ensure that we're supporting um, the industry in the repair of our vehicles. And I think the demonstration of the F-150 um, was a very, very successful for us. And uh, we certainly, I think, delivered to the industry what they needed in combination with ICAR to repair that vehicle successfully. How do you make sure that your dealership network and even the body shops that they use are doing quality work? Right. So, you know, for us, it really starts with engaging with the repair. And, you know, we do that to ensure that we understand their perspective and uh, the support that they're going to need from us to deliver each repair successfully for our owners. And um, as we engage in the industry, we talk a lot about training and the need for the technician to um, leverage all the training that's available to them, like the training that's offered uh, with ICAR. John, I'm sure you got a lot of training to do these mm -hmm. days because, like I said, we're, we're seeing more different types of materials used to make right. vehicles these days than ever before. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So, you know, just in the past eight years, um, we defined our, our, our current training requirements back in 2010. And we've come so far, we just had to introduce a, a kind of a refresh of the entire curriculum, which we just announced this past week when we were at Auto Mechanica, NACE down in Atlanta. But... You know, you take a look at what's going on, you know, like even in the area of steels, there's been advances in steels, and so now they're on to Gen 3, advanced high-strength steels. Um, you're seeing that like on the Chevy Bolt, for example. Um, you know, tensile strength is, is up, but also formability is also up. Um, and I think they're seeing benefits in the area of safety. But that, you know, that's just an example of, of a recent innovation that's just starting to come to the market. And... And so what that does is, um, you know, based on the tensile strength of the steel, you can't, you can't repair it the way prior grades of steel have been repaired. And in fact, you're probably going to a replace strategy with that, uh, with that grade of steel. And then to even attach the replacement component into the vehicle, you know, you're not traditionally welding it, you know, you're using alternate, you know, technologies such as maybe MIG brazing, adhesive bonding, rivet bonding. Um, a variety of different uh, spot welding, plug welding maybe, uh, but not traditional welding. So, so, you know, at the end of the day, what's critically important is that the technicians understand the particular vehicle they're working on, and, and it could vary model year to model year depending on what's been introduced by the engineering teams. And, and that leads to, um, I think what Jennifer mentioned earlier, is the need to really follow the OEM technical specifications. Because if you're not aware of what's in that vehicle, you're gonna have a problem repairing it. Uh, and when it goes out the door, that owner could have a problem with that car. So as we talk to um, repairs, we encourage the use of our repair procedures on each and every occasion. And that enables the technician to really do the proper research that they need to do to understand how the vehicle needs to be repaired and the tools and equipment necessary to complete the repair successfully. So um, as John mentioned, it's, it's become you know, really critically important that they utilize the repair procedures mm -hmm. that we create. How do you create them? Because I'm very familiar with the processes that mm -hmm. engineers go through in developing a vehicle. Do you literally have repair people alongside them saying, okay, now you designed it, now figure out how we're going to repair it? Oh, absolutely. And it's, it's um, you know, really great that we have 
engineers that are looking at repairability early in the process. So, you know, we call it design for repairability. And that um, really enables a technician to repair the vehicle in a way that um, is efficient and results in a, in a safe repair for the customer. So, yeah. Is there a lag time between getting the vehicle done and figuring out how to fix it, or is it pretty much tightened up these days? Yeah, it's, it's pretty tight. We look to have the repair procedures available as the vehicle is launched. Mm -hmm. yeah. John, how do you make sure the shops have the right equipment? Because you, you mentioned all these various types of welding, just to use welding as an example. Sure. Well, there's a, a certain complexity there. Um, Certain OEMs have very um, specific requirements on different types of equipment. Others uh, tend to be perhaps more general. But um, in all cases, um, you know, tr training is not enough. And you know, mm -hmm. if, if anyone's heard me speak in the collision repair industry, I would say that training is not the silver bullet. It's one of the bullets. I would say it's a foundational bullet, <laughs> but you need to be doing other things. You need to be using OEM repair procedures. You need to have the right equipment. You need to have the right processes in place. You need to have the right leadership in place. You need all these components to really work together uh, in the shop. And um, you know, so when you look at that OEM procedure thing, um, there's been studies done on the use of OEM procedures. and. Um, a uh, consulting organization by the name of Collision Advice that are in our space. Anyhow, 17.4% of shops utilize OEM procedures 100% of the time. Only 17 and so, whatever change. So percent. that means they're not being used 100% of the time in, in many shops. And uh, so we advocate all the time that, uh, you know, every single one of our courses starts with follow the OEM procedures. Follow the OEM procedures because it's critical. Jennifer, how do you get your hands on these procedures if you're a repair shop? Uh, so we offer the repair procedures to the industry via a website called motorcraftservice.com. As well, there's other providers um, of, the repeat, of the procedures via information that we license to them. So there's a number of ways that a shop can access the information. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Let's go into all the different materials that are going on in here. I mean... Uh, even a decade ago, there were not the variety of steels that they are. And John, you, you mentioned some of the, the ultra high strength stuff. Just right. to put a, you know, uh, some perspective on this for the audience, some of that steel is so strong, you can't drill a hole in it. Uh, some of that steel is so strong, the jaws of life, if the car gets in an accident, literally cannot cut through that steel. They got to go through the sunroof or the windows or something like that. And I'm just wondering, Jennifer, do you ever go to your engineers and go, no, 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 don't do that. It's going to be too hard to repair or you just have to figure out how to fix it? No, we have confidence in the fact that um, we're going to be able to deliver the repair procedures necessary to support, you know, repairs and repairing any type of vehicle that they, you know, will see. So, um, no, we, we don't tend to do that. We support <laughs> the industry. Um, How's the switch over to the aluminum F-150 gone? It's gone fantastic. It's, it really has. As we are engaged in the industry, and we, I talk to many, um, many constituents, um, it's always very positive, very positive in terms of the information that we provided, the preparedness, um, the training that we provided. So it's gone very well. Oh, good to hear. Yes. Good to hear. <laughs> John, yeah. we're seeing uh, carbon fiber start to come into a number of cars. The BMW yeah. i3, as an example, is an all-carbon fiber car. Right. I gotta believe this poses a new layer of challenges. 
Yeah, I mean, there's just different repair strategies associated with carbon fiber, and not every shop's seen carbon fiber yet. But it's more than carbon fiber. You know, you see magnesium, you see aluminum, you see the different grades of steels. Um, so it's just really important that you know what you're dealing with, and um, um, you don't just take a torch to the wrong metal because it might not work too well. Yeah. Right. So we're also starting to see uh, a move into new safety systems mm -hmm. that use all kinds of sensors around the car, and, and soon enough we're going to see autonomous cars. But let's talk with, uh, you know, what they call ADAS, the Advanced Driver Assistance Systems, right. Jennifer. What are you guys working on from a repair standpoint? Because my understanding is if some of these sensors after a collision are not set up exactly the way they should be, you could compromise the safety of the car. Right. So, you know, really I'll go back to um, in order for a repair shop to deliver the pre precision that they need with the calibration, again, they need to be accessing the repair procedures as they begin the process. They need to do their research and ensure that they have the tools and equipment necessary to deliver the repair successfully. So, um, it, you know, it's really coming down to leveraging the information that's being provided to them, mm. whether it's regarding calibration or, you know, any type of repair that they're going to perform on a Ford or Lincoln vehicle. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. John, you're getting into this new yeah, area. Yeah. You know, there's, well, it's a big there's sonar, there's radar, video cameras. Soon right. there's going to be LIDAR. And yeah, it's all over the, the vehicle. Um, so where do I start? <laughs> <laughs> um, this has been a big topic in the collision repair space because really what it's doing, it's introducing uh, kind of a new discipline into the repair shops that has not traditionally been in the repair shops. It's principally been in the dealers, you know, with the electronics. and uh, um, So... You know, the shops are moving into the space. Um, so number one is the whole notion of scanning, you know, so, you know, a pre-scan, a post-scan to find out if there's fault codes uh, within the system. Um, so, so it sounds pretty basic, uh, but that was not an everyday practice in the collision repair business. That then moves on to, okay, so you've done the repair, and uh, so then you have to reinstall equipment. You have to ensure things are aligned, things are calibrated. And, you know, when you look at that space, um, you know, just like the targets required for, for aiming uh, the cameras, for example, the, the radar, um, you know, there's degrees of sensitivity there, you know. And so what works in a manufacturing plant is a whole different animal when you're in a collision repair shop. Um, there's, you know, those shops have to work to the same tolerances that are in the manufacturing plants, okay, because of the accuracy required on those. And that's not easy to be replicated in a collision repair shop. All OEMs have their own targets, you know, so you've got complexity in terms of the tools required to actually be able to do this. So what's required for Ford is different than GM, and it's different model to model. You know, like, like Audi, for example, I think it's over $18,000 worth of just aiming equipment, if you will. Uh, and then there's also a, a space issue, too. So you have to have the right uh, amount of clear space in front of the vehicle, so width-wise and length-wise. And, um, you know, on average, we probably see about 300 square feet required for that clear space. Hmm. Uh, if you looked at the Toyota Camry, it would be 1,500 hmm. square feet required. And there's not many collision repair facilities that have that type of clear space today because they're set up uh, 
not well, in that manner. They, they want to use the floor space they yeah, got. So they're trying to be highly productive on their floor space. So mm-hmm. it really presents kind of a um, kind of a new business model for the shops that mm-hmm. they really need to understand and make the necessary investments uh, with the proper support from subject matter experts and right. from OEMs as well. Yeah, yes. Jennifer, Ford's coming out with this new safety suite yes. of technologies, Ford 360, I think it's called. Ford Copilot 360. Yeah. We announced it in March of this year. And really what it does, it brings um, the most advanced um, package or suite of advanced driver technologies as standard on on our portfolio. And that starts with the uh, 2019 Edge, which will come out later this year. You know, and it's all really um, in thinking about how we deliver mobility and really um, ensuring that the customers who are driving our vehicles um, feel confident. You know, as they as they navigate what's become a, a crowded and uh, somewhat distracted uh, world. So, um, you know, we're really excited about being able to deliver that for our customers. And, and building on what John just said, what are mm-hmm. you doing with your dealer network to make sure that they've got the proper space and equipment to be able to keep this in repair? Yeah, absolutely. So um, really it's the engagement. Uh, We're very active in talking with our dealers uh, that have body shops as well as talking to independent repairers. We actually have a program in collaboration with ICAR where we go in market and hold sessions and we invite, um, you know, anyone from the industry that's interested to talk about um, the technologies on our vehicles, how to access our repair procedures, what they need to be preparing for. So that's, you know, really for the collision team at Ford, um, engaging in the industry as we, f- we really feel is the best way that we can make sure that um, they're getting the information and they're, they're preparing uh, for the future, so. Mm-hmm. You know, at the end of the day, we, you know, we're advocating to OEMs the notion of design for repair, which mm-hmm. you heard from Ford, they do a good job on. Um, but it's really applying kind of systems thinking. Um, you know, when, when, a, when a vehicle's in a collision, it's like, like a trauma event, right? You know, it might be like a front-end impact, but the whole vehicle's involved in the event, right? And, and then that vehicle goes into the emergency room, and you're dealing with a triage unit, uh, trying to figure out what's wrong with this car. And uh, I think that's important for OEM product planning and, um, you know, uh, um, R&D engineers to kind of understand that environment that this car is going to have to live in. Um, so design for repair is a big deal. And, you know, you see OEMs kind of having different strategies on the location of these components, like, you know, getting it off the bumper is probably a good idea because bumpers see First dam- the damage all the time. You know, just as an example, so the, uh, the uh, Kia K900, for example, uh, it has a ton of technology in the front and ar- around the corners of that vehicle. A normal, uh, like, left front corner hit on that car results in a repair bill of circa $34,000. $34,000? Um, compared to an average of about 8000 So, okay, so what happens there, you know? Insurance cost goes up, total life cycle cost goes up, uh, cost of repair, driven by cost of repair. And uh, so anyhow, so things like that, you know, back to the, you know, to the systems thinking about, you know, where's the best place to put this technology in uh, and thinking about that repair mm-hmm. process and how's this going to integrate into a shop that, you know, doesn't have that production line that's, that's able to measure things to microns, you know. Um, so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Boy. What a hefty repair bill that is. <laughs> uh, 
you guys are talking about all this training and mm -hmm. all, all the changes coming, more equipment needed. Let's talk about the techs themselves, the people mm -hmm. who are going to be working on this. Sure. There has been a shortage, and it seems to be growing ever more dire right now. Jennifer, how are you addressing the shortage of techs in the field for repairing cars? So, uh, you know, at Ford, we have um, a strategy in place to really engage tech future technicians, <laughs> um, you know, really students um, in high schools to think about the future that they could have being, whether it's a mechanical technician or, or collision uh, repair technician. So we're actively working with um, high schools and then community colleges and really demonstrating the, you know, the fruitful life that a person can have um, in this industry. And if you think about um, the collision repair space in particular, with the vehicles being as advanced as they are, um, it really requires someone who has a technical um, aptitude. There's also an element of creativity if you want to become a painter. Uh, so there's it's you know, kind of a, a wide variety of opportunities that a person can have. And so it's something that we're very focused on. We uh, know that there is a shortage and that is likely to increase if, there's, if we don't take action, I think, as a collective industry to really demonstrate the value of working in this business. Yeah, John, what's ICAR doing mm -hmm. in this regard? Well, you know, we're in the training business, and uh, that's not limited to adult continuing education out in the industry. We also provide curriculum to all the uh, uh, career technical schools as well. There's about 1,000 or so in the United States. About 70% use our curriculum today. And so we have relationships with those schools. Um, we also work with schools, too, to deliver our industry-facing training. We have about 250 schools that are part of our what we call fixed site program where we utilize their facilities. So we're actively engaged with schools, um, and we're working with schools to help them with things like funding because their automotive programs aren't always very well funded. Uh, we're helping them with the curriculum. We're helping uh, train their trainers, if you will, their instructors. But you know, if you look system-wide in the uh, collision repair space, I think about 12,000 technicians, new techs are needed every year to, uh, mm -hmm. to manage about a 7% kind of migration in and out of the industry. And the schools are filling, you know, maybe circa about half of those. And so that means the other half are, need to come from somewhere. And um, so some of our, uh, um, you know, collision repair customers, some of the larger ones, have uh, figured out that the military is a good place to recruit from. Mm -hmm. uh, we've worked with Fayetteville Community College down in uh, North Carolina. Uh, they're on site basically with Fort Bragg. They've got a great uh, collision repair program. They actively recruit into that program and then have uh, tr uh, transfer arrangements with uh, employers, not just shops. It could also be insurers for that matter. So mm -hmm. that's a great program. But at the end of the day, collision repair is no different than any other trades. Uh, we're scrambling for people. Um, the, the business is much more sophisticated than uh, what it used to be. In fact, I think we should rebrand it from collision repair to like maybe <laughs> vehicle remanufacturing or something <laughs> because it's much more high tech than uh, right. uh, what people uh, typically associate uh, with it. So, mm -hmm. What kind of money, Jennifer, can you earn if you get into the field then? Oh, you can easily earn, um, you know, six-digit income yeah. annually. Yeah. Yeah. That's common. For a seasoned, mm -hmm. good trained tech. So you're talking over a hundred thousand bucks a year you can make doing yeah. this. Yes. So that sounds pretty attractive. Why are you having a hard time getting people to get into these jobs? 
Long story. We got to do it right? Right. I think it's the same challenge all the trades have. You know, it's just not the principal path in high school programs, and uh, so we're fighting that uh, that battle and trying to do a better job at it. You know, we've been talking about what's going on in the U.S., but Jennifer, you got to look at Ford on a global basis. And uh, tell us a little bit about the efforts. Does it differ than what you're doing in the U.S., or is it pretty much the same? No, um, there's really a lot of common uh, principles uh, that we are applying here in the U.S. That you know, we talk about all of the we talk with the collision leads around the world about and uh, training important everywhere. The use of the OE repair procedures, important. Um, you know, having repairs in your network that are committed uh, to repairing vehicles properly. So we're talking about that with all, with all of the teams. And um, the nice thing is that there is a lot of consistency in terms of how we can approach uh, the business, which um, enables us to be really more effective. So. In other countries, are you yeah. finding the same kind of shortage of techs? Yes, yes. So it's a global issue. It's not just here in the U.S.? No. Very. And and John, you... Yeah, it's everywhere. Yeah, Australia would be very similar. We have ICAR Australia, and their Mm -hmm. their stats would be very similar to the U.S. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Very Uh, interesting. As an example. Like, you know, so, you know, you talk about overseas, so we have the couple locations I I talked about. Uh, By no means do we cover the globe, but... You know, like we've worked with Ford in China to deliver welding training uh, mm-hmm. to support uh, Explorer, Expedition Navigator, for example. Uh, we're working with Tesla in uh, 26 different uh, markets around the world through collaborations and partnerships. You know, at the end of the day, uh, vehicle technology, is, it's global, right? Mm-hmm. It's not just local to the United States or, you know, or to Europe. Uh, it's everywhere. And so, you know. We're really following our OEM uh, partners to help them out in different markets and in so do and help to raise the bar. And there's a lot of interest because there's a lot of bar rising required around the world. Yeah. I would say America's, you know, the U.S. and Europe are way, you know, and Australia, Canada are mm-hmm. much further ahead than other markets uh-huh. in terms of repair quality. So you must get over to China a lot, or do you have other people you can send to go do that? We have a team there. <laughs> so I travel some, yes. But it's got to be a, a, a booming market for oh, the, the, the topic that we're talking about at, at hand here, collision yeah, repair. And um, in, the, in that market, all of our dealers have a body shop, which is a little different than here in the U.S. So, um, so the, you know, really working with dealers in that case to ensure that they're, you know, to all of the things that we talked about today applies there. That must make it a little bit easier that you got the control of the body shops within the dealerships for Ford in China. It does, um, for sure. Certainly, there's competition coming uh, there as well. And as 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 we know, it's it's just really around following, um, taking care of our customer at the end of the day, no matter where you are, and ensuring that we're doing everything we can to deliver a proper and safe repair. So. Very good. Look, with that, we're going to have to wrap this up. Very interesting. I mean, you know, I I don't think the the general public and even people in the industry know Mm -hmm. how much goes into trying to figure out how to repair vehicles. At the same time, you're figuring out how to design and engineer and manufacture them. Very interesting. Well, John Van Alstyne, President and CEO of ICAR. Jennifer Boyer, the Global Business and Strategy Manager at Ford. Thank you very much for coming on AutoLine. Thank you so much for having us. Underwriting for the production of Autoline this week has been provided by Borg Warner. 
The world is changing at an ever-increasing pace. No matter what the mode of transportation, there is always the need for an efficient propulsion system. And that's exactly what BorgWarner has been doing since the earliest days of the automotive industry. We create innovative mobility technologies that reduce energy consumption and emissions while improving performance. Our proven track record has made us an industry leader in forward-looking propulsion solutions for combustion, hybrid, and electric vehicles.